Now get ready for the time of your life, cause you are now watching Godcast. Hello everybody, welcome to Godcast, the show where the host would be playing Hatsune Miku covers of popular music if it was for the copyright system. I'm your host, HydraWave99, and I'm joined here today with Floof Alpaca. How are you today? Came back and he was playing uh, Never Gonna Give You Up in Hatsune Miku Vocaloid version 2. <laughs> yep. That could have been... Uh, yeah, and uh, I was disappointed um, because, uh, well, oh, you know, uh, life, I came back in hopes that things would return, I guess, you know, mm. uh, things would, you know, be better when I came back. And now, now he's got something to show me, and I don't know what it is. Uh, but I can only assume it has something to do with something. Right. So, anyway. Also, I hate life. <laughs> right. Uh, so, Alpaca, what has been new with you this week? Um, I've been, uh, I've, I don't know, I've. I, I tried Far Cry 6. There was a free demo weekend. And, uh... Yeah. Um... I, uh... I, I don't know. I went through it. And, um... I, I got to, like, 14% completion. So, yeah. I... I it... It's really different in a sense from the like it's not different different but it's a little different from the other Far Cry games. You're, you're the main protagonist. You no longer see cutscenes in first person. Every cutscene is in third person. So you're watching your character talk. It you're, it, it really just feels like Watch Dogs and uh, Assassin's Creed more. I would say than yeah. It, than it does. I was gonna say, it feels more like based off that alone, it makes it feel like Ubisoft is really making their games feel more of the same than trying to differentiate them. Like, if all the cutscenes were first person in the older games, that at least gave it some point of differentiation, but now it feels like, oh, it's just first person for the gameplay. Yeah. Yeah, it was only first person for the gameplay, and that was, um, that was fine. I mean, there's a few extra things to uh, get used to, of course. Um, like uh, the health system, it's like the third and second and um, fourth game, except you have to wait to heal. Like, you have to wait for a meter to fill up to heal, and, and then you can actually do the healing animation. You can't just infinitely pull, I don't know, your fingers back into place like before. Uh, you have to wait like a it's like a little cooldown before you can heal again. So you have to get behind cover, and it also automatically regenerates over time. But the problem is, is just that you're, you know, it's very very slow. It's not like COD, I guess. Um, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, 
it was, you know, it, it was di- it was a different setting, you know. Um, it's a lot more like three, of course, the tropical, you know, in this case, Cuba, you know, Cuban setting. Brook Island, I think, was like somewhere near Japan, I think. Hmm. Or at least it was in the canon of the game. Uh, it was a place that the Japanese uh, took over during World War Two. So, I don't know. Hopefully, you won't run into Mickey Mouse or Felix the Cat. Oh, yes. Um, I remember when we were originally going to record this, you know, it was on the same day we were watching some Japanese World War II propaganda cartoons. And boy, was anime very different during those times. Think of, like, black and white, like, silent film, but not silent, and also with a bit of, like, uh, Eastern flair, I guess. Yeah, and for those of you who are curious... That Japanese propaganda cartoon we have watched was actually one of the minor characters inside that thing was actually influential fig influence for a certain indie game character. Mm -hmm. If you look really closely to one of the like really more background characters, but part of the actual, you know, um, thing, uh, you'll see. A certain anthropomorphic body with a cup for a head. Hmm. I think the developer, you said the developers confirmed that that was actually what inspired Cuphead. At least the design. And, I mean, it was, it was like 60 years ago. So I think copyright might like not even, I mean, this was Imperial Japan anyway. So they probably don't even give a flying, you know. But, uh. Anyways, um, other than that, today was, I guess, all right. Um, you know, I went shopping and stuff. It was, um, I don't know. I, I have these like really weird, uh, random spurs of depression that last like very small times, but they are so, so like, uh, disabling, I guess. But that's nothing to worry about, really. I'm fine right now, but you know how it is. Right. So, as we, so we have a lot of news to talk about today. I mean, we got various PlayStation news, such as the situation involving Gran Turismo 7 and Haven Studios. We got some Nintendo news, such as what happened with you know, the Wii and DSi shop and a certain update for the Nintendo Switch. We got GTA Plus and a no build mode that got added to Fortnite. And we got some various tech news, such as the NVIDIA Nerf AI that could turn 2D photos into 3D objects. And we have a lot of talk about, about the lapses situation, because my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was... um. Uh, I guess startling. Um, I mean, it's just the fact that they, like Microsoft, Ubisoft, and or Ubisoft, and was the other one Samsung, or there was another other brand that got. Um, yeah, various different brands got impacted, and Microsoft and Okta were looking into that, and what we thought was actually a relatively minor thing ended up being something much more massive than both of us even realized. 
And that's just like the Activision Blizzard segment, except these guys, I don't know. And of course, we have to continue with our never-ending news about the Activision Blizzard and sexual harassment stuff, because that's what we do here at Godcast. Well, I mean, hopefully the Xbox uh, Microsoft acquirement changes all of that, and we never have to talk about it again. I just don't like giving it light too much, but... I also like giving the light uh, to, you know, people who uh, aren't agreeable, I guess. Right. Anyways. So, like, uh, (laughs) yeah, with that said, I don't agree with this description. Right. Like, what do you mean I can sell my car on Kelly Blue Book? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you do bring up a good point because there's some news regarding the Gran Turismo 7 update. That happened. So we're going to wrap up all the PlayStation news in one quick segment real- before we bump some it all up together at the status of PlayStation. Oh, yeah. So let's get started with that. And... Pretty much what happened here is that according to this article here, they spotted the Gran Turismo 7 description says that players can sell cars even though the game doesn't let you. And if you scroll down below, you'll see an image of the description from the PlayStation Store that says, with the experience of the complete real driving simulator, 25 years in the making. Get behind the wheel of over 400 cars from day one with each classic motor and bleeding edge supercar recreated with unparalleled detail and navigate over 90 track routes and dynamic weather conditions. With the reintroduction of legendary GT simulation mode, you can buy, tune, race, and get this, sell your way through a solo campaign as you lock new cars and challenges. And if you love going head to head with others, hone your skills can be in GT sport mode. So you can look at that one that la- that one line right there. Buy, tune, raise, and sell. Yep. Uh, hmm. The last one. I. Uh, I. I. I bought ten cars of this. I bought ten cars that are the same exact car to get that trophy, and now I'm stuck with nine shitty ones and one that's actually kind of okay. Yeah, or, um, or in the I case can't, I can't sell them. Yeah, or in the case of of this game, you have you get you buy one car and you're really enjoying this car, and the next thing you know, you get awarded the same car from getting first place in a series of races. What? And then you can't sell it, so it's like a it's like a door prize that you can't even enjoy. It's like a it's like getting uh, gifted. Uh, I don't know, like a door stopper. Yup. What do I use this wedge thing for? To teach, like, I don't know, 3D objects? I don't fucking know. <laughs> right. That, that That's a weird analogy, but... Hey, I'll go with it. Yep. Or how about an empty soda can, but it looks like it's not empty until you pick it up, and then you're like, wow, this weighs less. Right, and due to all the controversy for Gertrude 7, according to the PlayStation blog, there's an update directly for Polyphony Digital regarding this. And you can see here, 
Dear Gran Turismo community, thank you for your continued support and feedback on Gran Turismo 7. Your voices have not gone unheard. I would like to apologize for the frustration and confusion caused last week with our patch notes, which resulted in not only a server outage, but also adjustments to the in-game economy, which were made without a clear explanation to our community. We know that this is not the Gran Turismo experience you expect, and we will be making a goodwill gesture in the form of a non-paid credit pack of 1 million credits available to those players who may have been affected. You will see this hit your accounts shortly. Make sure you log into the game before April 25th to claim the credits, aka I need to do this too because I have the game. Yeah, um, you better send them an angry email saying, I, I need compensation. I guess. Right. I don't know. Not an angry email. Don't harass people. That's no. fucking shitty. Anyways. But, uh... The patch update yeah. previously deployed was intended to rectify an issue with inconsistent reward payouts within a part of the World Circuit events. But to reestablish the intended equilibrium and provide more accurate rewards based on time investment and completion, it was necessary to recalculate the reward system as a whole. To improve player experience, we will be rolling out a considerable patch in the beginning of April. The number of events will be increased, and we will reestablish the reward system with greater balance throughout the game to benefit all players. Updates which will come into effect beginning in April, which includes increased rewards in the events in the later half of the World Circuit by approximately 100% on average, so double the credits. This should have high rewards for clearing the circuit experience in all gold and all bronze results. Increase of the rewards in online races include a total of eight new one-hour endurance race events to missions. These will also have higher reward settings. Increase the upper limit of non-paid credits to player wallets from 20 million credits to 100 million credits. And increase the quantity of used and legend cards on offer at any given time. So, in other words, you're going to get, they're going to increase the odds you're going to get rare cards on offer. Which is good. And beyond this, there will be a few additional patches deployed between now and the end of April, which will add new cars and course layouts and make some other fixes. Obviously, new cars. I like I like swag rides. Um, finally, we also want to take the opportunity to lay out some the near-term updates we are working on. We can't confirm an exact date or specifics yet, but we'll give you advance via GrandTrasmo.com. And here are the things. Increase the payout value of limited time rewards as we develop a, as a live service. Ah, oh, jeez, that last phrase. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, as a live service. Always online. Further World Circuit event additions. Addition of endurance races to missions, including 24-hour races. Addition of online time travel trials and awarding of rewards according to the players' differences with the top-ranked time and make it so cars can be sold. Woo! Holy shit, we did it at the same time. That's fucking... That's... Oh my god, that's like a movie. Anyways, um... Yeah. But there's one <laughs> change that was not mentioned on here that was definitely controversial. Always online. Mm-hmm. They got all uh -uh. this... They brought all this cool stuff to fix the game, which is brilliant. But they didn't remove the always online requirement for a single player game. Now, I'm with every other, you know, um, I'm with everyone else. This as a live service game. OK, it's fine. You know, you can have a live service game. I mean, you know, you know, but do I have to always be online? 
to play a game that can work offline. Do like this is something I noticed with uh, on PC at least with the, with the new Call of Duties. You have to be connected to the servers to even play offline custom matches. You have yeah. to connect, and um, I know there's some you know uh, there's something with Hitman Three, I think. Or maybe it was two. I forgot. I believe Watch Dogs um, Two was like this too, and adopted too, like some other racing games. I think some of the Need for Speed games were like this too, where they were always online. Jeez, but I'm with everyone else saying that that is a terrible anti-piracy measure. That is a really terrible DRM. You know, that is like that is like uh, not trusting the consumer who has paid their due times 10 mm-hmm. not just not just screwing over somebody with an anti-cheat by saying oh you're playing on steam on a steam deck wow yeah wow they're not pulling off a bungee and destiny situation where they completely just re- block you off from using a freaking steam deck no this is the case of if the servers are down sucks for you and I yeah. think another worst part about this too is that even if they did implement an offline patch for this game, which would be brilliant, by the way, at this point, one of the other issues is that any physical copies that are in the store right now will have to be updated to then take advantage of an offline patch. So essentially, the game has to be activated by going online. Wow. Um... Yeah, uh, gosh, um, so, uh, I, I, when I was a little, I, I used to love, like, doing whatever I can to, like, get, like, I don't know, things from, like, because, like, I didn't know what Wi-Fi was, and we didn't have Wi-Fi, we barely even had internet, and the most I got for entertainment was the TV or going upstairs and using the cruddy, uh, you know, computer that we had. I mean, at least nowadays, that thing could actually run some some things back then, but nowadays, no. Um, so, uh, I, I just remember the days before online was a thing, and I also remember the days of being able to play anything offline as long as you're not, you know... As long as it doesn't really require it. You know, if you want to play multiplayer, of course you need the internet. But I, I, if I just want to play the campaign to or a story mode or something. Like, imagine if I couldn't play Far Cry because I wasn't, I wasn't connected to the internet. And my Wi-Fi went down. Or my, you know, router decided to crap the bed. <laughs> or what if you're like me... A few years ago, and you're just this kid who uses his mother's phone and uses the hotspot to download games. And now you want you want to save that hotspot data, and now you can't because you have to use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like this is these are very niche cases, and these are people who have a lot more issues than me or you. But I think that's kind of the point. It's almost like gatekeeping in a sense, you know. Yeah, it really is. And I think what makes this all interesting, too, is the fact that 
you know, this is a game that clearly could be put that should be able to be played offline. Like it should be able to. It at least a single player mode. Yeah, without an absolute doubt. Mm. I mean, the online multiplayer can get that, and I still remember a time which local multiplayer was a thing, and we could see besides Nintendo. Like, land parties, dude. Mm, and land parties too. Like practically every other company, minus Nintendo and indie developers, go after local multiplayer. Yeah. And that's a shame too. However, though, while this is a detriment, you know, for the image of PlayStation, they also managed to acquire another studio. And this one hadn't even released a game yet. But they've shown their uh, their worksmanship through other means. Yeah, so pretty much what this is, is Haven Studios. And this was brought by Jade Raymond, who helped create the Assassin's Creed and Watchdog series. Not only did mm-hmm. she do that, but she actually, I believe, was the head of what was going to be Google Stadia's first party studio lineup of games. Before they axed it out because Cyberpunk did so well for them that they thought they could just ditch a first party studios. Short on the straw. <sighs> no, literally. The reason why is that the reason why Google Stadia decided to not make first party games was because Cyberpunk 2077 was actually relatively good on the platform and it actually sold pretty well on it. So they thought, you know what? Let's not big first party games and make compelling software. That's like saying Nintendo not releasing any Nintendo themed, you know, their IPs. <laughs> I mean, the Stadia has no like bearings without any sort of first party support. What the hell? I wonder why it died. Mm. But yeah, so you could have had a situation with, with, you know, with Stadia, which they would have had like first party type of games. Some of which probably could have been similar in caliber to I don't know, maybe Assassin's Creed or Watch Dogs down the road if they provided the studio more money. Mm-hmm. But nope, never happened. I mean, at least nope. Microsoft, which also is a major tech company, decided to invest into Bungie and have a, at the time, have a first-party IP juggernaut, Halo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then... Then it went uh, to 343, and then, uh, well, you know, that happened. And now they're making Destiny 2, which I... Wasn't there a whole, like, problem back then? Like, like a few weeks ago? I forgot. But not, not with the Steam Deck, but... I think that was when Sony was... bought... That was, I think that was when Sony bought them off. Yeah, which, uh... Hmm. And now, Destiny essentially, 2. what this will allow them to do is... Speaking of Bungie... With... Haven Studios with Jane Merriman and their and the company now also being part of Sony and Bungie also being part of Sony, they could actually leverage the experience of talent like Bungie to make a compelling live service game, which are what they are actually working on. Yeah, I see. As, oh, that's going to be interesting to look at. As, as you can see here, we they began working with Jade and her team in early 2021 when they were on the brink of announcing the formation of Haven Studios. From their first pitch, they were inspired by Haven's vision to create a modern multiplayer experience that brings gamers together in positive and meaningful ways. We were confident in their creative and technical expertise to deliver on such an ambitious project, and we were thrilled to invest in their journey developing a new original IP for PlayStation. 
We've had the privilege of working closely with, with Haven this past year and have been impressed by the studio's growth and progress. So now, practically on the anniversary of when we m- made our partnership official, is especially exciting to formally welcome them to, into the PlayStation family. So this is a letter that was... This is And now this is the press release, the little letter that they have from Jay Ribbon herself. One year ago this month, we embarked on a journey to start Haven Studios with a small team and big ambitions. Our goal was to build a studio where we could make the kind of games we've always wanted to create and games we've longed to play. We've made amazing progress in a short time thanks to our talented, passionate team and their exceptional contributions. We established a culture at Haven grounded in kindness, adaptability, and courage that unlocks creativity. Gee, I wonder what studio does not have that these days. Our first new IP for PlayStation is on track to deliver a AAA multiplayer experience with a vision to build a systemic and evolving world focused on freedom, thrill, and playfulness that will keep players entertained and engaged for years. Today, the Haven team begins a new phase of our journey as part of the PlayStation Studios family. Working with Herman, Connie Booth, and the team at PlayStation over the past year has been a career highlight. SIE is a supportive partner that truly understands the creative process and what it takes to make a blockbuster AAA game. They have empowered and encouraged us to bring our bold vision to life and make our dreams come true, and we could not be more thrilled about this opportunity to strengthen our partnership. As a SIE first-party studio, we will have the opportunity to collaborate with some of the world's most renowned development teams, including studios like Gorilla, Naughty Dog, Media Molecule, and Somniac Games, the careers of games that inspired us as players and developers over for years. Add Bungie that list too. We're excited to learn from these world-class studios as well as the exceptional central creative technology and marketing teams whose expertise will enable us to deliver even better games to players. To our Haven team, a huge thank you. It's been one of the most rewarding years of my career and to the players out there, we can't wait to share more. We're just at the beginning of what is sure to be a wondrous adventure that will span generations. And clearly, this one line here, grounded in kindness, adaptability, and courage for their culture. What company do we know of does not embrace these values? Nintendo. Sorry. I think of another company. Uh, uh, Toys for Bob. Sorry, but I know it's Activision Blizzard. I know. <laughs> yes, but honestly, like this seems like I mean the thing that makes it surprising is yes, I know Sony probably worked with this talent before, you know when they when especially with Jade Raymond being at Ubisoft, but <laughs> the fact that this is a very different situation for Sony. Because unlike previous acquisitions, like, you know, with Housemark and Insomniac, who were, you know, series they've worked with over the years and then picked them up, play, this acquisition, some of the support series they've acquired, are all essentially just studios that either just formed or had a very little relationship with Sony. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes this acquisition rather interesting is that this is a game that hasn't even come out yet, whatever they're working on. As yeah, and I, I'd assume that the um, acquisition would uh, maybe lock down potential, you know, cross, you know, 
uh, compatibility, I guess, you know, when it comes to like going on Xbox and Nintendo systems, if the game is supposed to be, you know. Right. I think that's what makes Sony, this is interesting because we've seen Sony more held on their studios. Like they keep encouraging more to keep the games exclusive to PlayStation. The only exception to the rule, I think, is Bungie, actually, because they let Sony's just letting Bungie just do its own thing, practically. Kind of like how Microsoft is letting, you know, Mojang do its thing, and what we're seeing is practically Activision Blizzard entirely is going to let them do its own thing, just to please the uh, regulators. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was... Yeah, Call of Duty is still going to be on PlayStation after 2024. Mm-hmm. Based off what we've heard from that press release that we talked about a few weeks ago on the Microsoft blog. Yeah, and uh, but as far as Sony goes, they are they have a tighter grip on their um, the, the it's more it's more like they're more sentimental about who has been there, you know, and uh, having things be the PlayStation brand instead of being you know oh i can buy uh i don't know assassin's creed on my xbox i can buy it on my pc but i can also buy it on playstation you know yeah i think with microsoft they're all their acquisitions always serve one purpose game pass they don't really care as much about the fact that the game will could not be on xbox it's as long as on game pass that's all that matters for them Sony, yeah. at least we could tell from their initiatives that they only want to make sure these games are bolstering PlayStation, aka this, you know, the platform itself. Mm-hmm. And maybe more news on this n- in the next episode. More news on this next episode. This PlayStation Plus thing. More news on that next episode. Oh. And one other, some... yeah, one other thing we just have to talk about real quick is this update that came out for the for the PS Five. One other thing, real quick. And what this essentially does is it adds a couple other things, and it also highlights some future support that the PlayStation Five will eventually get. So if you click on the plus button on this article here, it'll expand the list to what the latest version is going to be. It's a small list, nothing crazy, but we'll go briefly on this. Pretty much they made it to voice chats are now called parties. And for each access, they decided to divide game base into three tabs, which is friends, parties, and messages. And how now when you start a party, you can select either an open party or a closed party. And open parties let friends join without an invite. Friends and party members can also join. A closed party is only for those you invite. Okay, cool. Uh, they changed up the game base and just some quality of life improvements in terms of the party management. Hey, Microsoft, can I copy your homework? Yeah, just change it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, why does this remind? Why is this? This is like exactly what Xbox is, though. Like yeah. the parties, they, they even copied parties. Um, 
but uh they even added like the mono audio option thing <laughs> yeah um, like they definitely took a lot of influence from the microsoft in terms of the party system i mean playstation has had parties for a long time as well but they definitely oh, see- hey, they had a ukrainian language support Woo! <laughs> yeah more news on that shortly uh yeah they said they highly updated the language reader here boss support for headsets trophies Oh, they added a new feature called voice command. A Cortana. Sorry. <laughs> it literally is that for their whole thing. And pretty much what it does is it, you can use voice commands, open games, app settings, as well as media playback. It'll tell you how to get started on this. And yeah. And yep. Other features. They added some other quality of life improvements. Such as they made the following changes under game library, such as the ability to under the collection tab, you can now filter your games by genre. They pinned the PlayStation Plus to the left edge of the home screen, so then you could redeem monthly games quickly, get easy access to the PlayStation Plus games. They added a button to show how to reload and zoom while you use the internet browser. Just a bunch of quality of life changes. But I do know one thing that it doesn't mention here, as far as I could tell, is the fact that they're going to add a B variable refresh rate support down the road. Oh. Um, let me take a look. Uh, yeah, cause I thought I saw that at one point in time. I must have been a different article or whatever, but either way, just know that eventually that BRR support is eventually going to come. Yeah, let me try to find it. Um, But you can continue on, of course. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not coming up in the article, but I do know that is something that they are eventually going to add. Down the road, I'd say. But, like I said, this is a mostly a quality of life update. Nothing crazy. It's not. Except uh, copying Microsoft. Sorry, I'm not I'm not a Microsoft fan. It's just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't swing either way when it comes to the consoles. <laughs> just, <laughs> it just looks way too much like the Xbox, uh, you know, mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean... Whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, do you have anything to say on the... I mean, just looking at all these PlayStation news, you have... This interesting story to tell here is that the weekend PlayStation is essentially... Sony faced a controversy for one of their major games buying a live service studio and then updating the PlayStation 5. And I think two of these topics more so tie in with the idea of Sony leaning more toward their live service sector. Um, yeah. Uh, ooh, that's something to actually... Yeah, that's actually something to take note of. Uh... 
like you can see here, like especially when you're investing into treating Grand Theft Auto 7 as a live service and you're buying another multiplayer uh, studio, well, not really multiplayer, but a studio that's focusing on a live service game and also buying Bungie at the same time too. It's like, yeah, Sony still wants to develop their massive single player narrative game because that's what they're known for. But they're trying to lean into the live service aspect more because they know that's what the money is. Yeah. It's just, uh, what does this mean for the metaverse? And is this good for the player? Anyways, sorry. Um, Maybe not. But I do actually wonder, though. <laughs> are they are they trying their hands at metaverse stuff? I wonder. Now, with the Microsoft and Activision, stuff, yeah. now with Microsoft and Activision Blizzard, it is no, known that from Satya Nadella's mouth himself, he mentioned that they wanted to buy Activision Blizzard to fuel their ambitions for the metaverse. Oh, okay. With the idea that they want to use gaming as their way to make the money off the metaverse. All right. Because it makes sense. I mean, Xbox has, you know, expertise in gaming because their long history with it. They have mm -hmm. a lot of fucking money. So yeah. why not make software that can be compelling for the metaverse in addition to fueling Xbox and using that as their gateway into the metaverse? And I yeah. get that. But in a way, because video games is escapism, it's leaving the world. But mm -hmm. I don't want to get too sidetracked on that whole aspect. But what I can tell you, though, is the fact that there was a major outage in the Wii and DSi shop that happened last week. And it lasted for several days, even. Oh. And it was spotted by Eurogamer that since March 16th, the, the DSi and Wii shop channels have been offline. So the story about this is that the reason why these channels were online still is still for those who can re-download their games. You can't buy anything off of them, but they left them online so that way if you want to re-download any software you bought, you can. And apparently last week, the store actually was shut down. Uh, oh. So, and and the and what made this whole thing interesting is that at that time it was out for several days, and then, however, if you scroll further down to the article here, as of yeah March twenty second, that that's when they officially acknowledged the outage. And they will say, we will provide an update at a later date. And they mentioned that the Wii Shop channel and the DSi Shop are currently undergoing maintenance. We'll, we'll provide an update at a later date. And then on April Fool's, they're like, <laughs> yeah, um, by the way, um, it's gone forever. April Fools, it's back online. Just kidding, fuck you all. Anyways, um that that would that would literally be that would probably literally happen, I swear. Nintendo's ha has this thing where they they 
believe in porting games to the newest console instead of allowing you to train. You fucking holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> it fucking has it. He has the fucking Hatsune Miku duck. What the fuck? Holy shit, in the fucking flesh. God. How the fuck? That's the ones. It is that. <laughs> this can go one of two ways. Is she riding it, or is she really riding it with a strap on? Well, if we did that, it would be down this way. But we're not. We're not doing that today. She's riding like a freaking lapras. Also, too, the thing. Thanks is for that image. Also, too. The, th the rubber on this is so freaking thick that you can't make it squeak. Really? It's not squeakable. Does it float? Probably. I haven't actually put the thing in water. Okay. Well, um... Anyways. Um... I feel like Nintendo has this idea that they can shut down... They can really make it difficult to play their older games. You know, some of the most classic games ever. Yeah, like, speaking uh, of which... Entirely... While we're on that subject... They're actually shutting down one of their mobile games called Dragalia Lost. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, so essentially what happened here is that in addition to having the eShop not be in the greatest state right now for two of their legacy systems, which, again, like Alpaca has mentioned here, is a terrible sign of things to come. They're also shutting down one of their mobile games, which is Dragalia Lost. It's one of those like, mobile action RPG sort of things, if you don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And what happened here is that, so, thank you for playing the Dragalia Lost game. This message serves to inform players about the future of the game. The Dragalia Lost main campaign is going to reach its conclusion on July 2022 with part two of chapter 26, the final and climactic addition to its long-running story. After the main campaign has concluded, service for the game itself will come to a close at a later date. Further details on the end of service schedule will be provided in a future notification. After the final set of new adventures is added in a summon showcase scheduled for March 31st, 22nd, wow, March 31st, 2022 at 2 o'clock military time, I guess, the game will not receive any new content updates aside from those for the main campaign and certain quests. Please note that summon showcases for existing adventures and dragons, as well as event revivals, will continue to be made available until the service has ended. The Dragalia Lost team would like to thank each and every one of our players, past and present, for your love and support for Dragalia Lost's launch. It is our sincere hope that you have enjoyed your experience with the game from the moment you started playing it, and we will strive to ensure that you, you're, you continue to do so as long as time allows. God, I wish they could rework this game as like a proper... Game on the Switch. So, 
what this means, does this mean like you cannot play the game again after July? Well, I don't think the July date, it's just saying it's the conclusion of the story. Oh, okay. What it's saying here is that eventually, and they're saying the last set of new characters that you can summon will be scheduled for the March of 31st. But what this is saying is that this game is going to be shut down after sometime after July 2022. Probably like a, a few months after, most likely. Okay. Will you be able to, you know, re-download it and stuff? Well, the thing is, is that this is a mobile game. What do okay. most mobile games have in common? Microtransactions. Well, not only microtransactions. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, gotcha mechanics. Sorry. What uh, else? Uh, they are downloaded from a single store usually, unless you sideload them. What else? Can you please tell me before I go insane? What did we just talk about with Gran Turismo 7? Oh my god, no. Wait, so... So... Do you need an internet connection to play this game? Always? What the f... And they're shutting down the servers, so you'll be able to download it, but you can't play it, because the servers are off. What the fuck? Oh no, that is fucking terrible. What even is that? Like, as seen in the sentence here, after the main campaign has concluded, which is going to happen on July of 2022, service for the game itself will come to a close at a later date. And they're going to notify us as the official date for this. Which... Ugh. This is why I wish they would actually port this game to the Switch as like, and like retool it without as many of the microtransactions. Just do that. It would be perfect for it. Jeez. No, that, that is, that is sour. That is fucking sour. And this it, game... I hope, I hope it does foreshadow a potential, you know, remaster on the Switch, I guess. Now, the funny thing, too, about this game, too, this was actually one of the games, I think, if you had to compare it with, like, Fire Emblem Heroes, Mario Kart Tour, and, like, Animal Crossing, Pocket yeah. Camp, this actually was one of the more friendly microtransaction games that Nintendo has published. You mean compared to Pokemon uh, Shuffle on the Nintendo 3DS? <laughs> I, Fuck that game. No, I mean, compared to just their cell phone games. Ah. Uh. Well, Pokemon Shuffle is shitty. <laughs> I, I had to wait another day to fucking play the game, and it was like, oh, you want to spend five bucks here and there? <laughs> no, I fucking don't. Yeah, but we're just talking about just pure mobile games and non-Pokemon. Okay. So Pokemon so Go Pokemon is not Go. included in the whole mix. We're just talking about purely Nintendo. Oh, okay. This one game is actually one of the more microtransaction-friendly ones out there. So... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like this was actually fairly friendly for Nintendo's data because Mario Kart Tour was actually very pay to win. 
it was stupid. Like, if you want to get to 200cc, like, play the 200cc mode, you have to pay yeah. the Mario Kart... There's, like, a special, like, Mario Kart Tour Pass that you have to actually buy. That's literally Wait, a subscription we- purse. Uh, literally a subscription... To be able to get 200cc. I hope there wasn't any microtransactions to just get a bunch of blue shells in reserve. There isn't, you know the- but they did shove rubies down your throat. I mean, they, they was somewhat friendly. I mean, they did give you enough rubies, but you do have to buy a bunch of rubies to get like and a bad. bunch of characters and like high quality skins and all the other stuff that you need to get. And, which doesn't yeah. affect gameplay because if you don't have the right character and the right car, you can't get your three item slots, which will then trigger a frenzy. I'm going to just pretend to know what a frenzy is and just be like, I'm glad I've never played that game. Okay, because like, wow. Frenzies, essentially what it is that you get three of the same item. So it kind of looks like literally a slot machine in a way. And you get, now that you get, you become invincible, like you get the star power up, you could throw as many of the items as you can within that time frame. Yes, Frenzy Blue Shells do exist in that game. No, that is, that is disgusting. So if you get three. No, that is. Yeah, so if you're in last place, or whatever, because they do change the odds of items depending on... Well, every bar car game does this. They change the odds of what items you get depending on what place you're in. If you are in last place or whatever, you could technically get Blue Shell Frenzy and just throw a bunch of Blue Shells at the first place player. And technically, the Gold Mushroom didn't really exist in this game because, well, you just get Frenzy Mushrooms. So I just realized this game is rated 12, Peggy 12, and has nudity in it. What does that entail? Oh, it's the European page. Um, that, like I said, that's just the European rating. I yeah. don't know exactly, but the most important thing, but let's just, just shift, wondering. yeah, let's just, let's just focus more on what this means for Nintendo's mobile focus. Okay. Now, Nintendo has not released many mobile games in a while. I mean, after all, I think the most recent one they've done, which is Dr. Mario, actually shut down itself, and we talked about that, I believe. So, this could mean that other non-profitable Nintendo mobile games could actually be shut down in the future. Oh. I'm thinking like your progress, everything, every, all the money you spent on it, gone. Yup. It and was a waste of money. Mm-hmm. And time. Yep. Great. I think the next one up is probably going to be Mario Run. Yeah, I, I've, I have not heard anything about Mario Run in the longest time. And you know what Mario Run is? That that for, that's that side-scrolling Mario game that they were trying to make the free-to-start Mario game, like an actual, like honest, genuine mobile game that wasn't as filled with microtransactions, gotcha mechanics. 
it was a true genuine Mario mobile game. Was it more like Temple Run or more like, uh, I guess, Jetpack Joyride, I guess? None, actually. Oh. It was, it had actual, it was level based, actually. It was literally a Mario side scroller, but we just play with one hand. Oh, so like, uh, Geometry Dash. Dash. I have no idea what that is, but all I can tell you is that that game literally was. It had Mario move as it was like traditional Mario levels, and uh, but he runs automatically. You always just tap the screen to make him jump. Okay, so like Geometry Dash. I guess so. Whatever that is. <laughs> Sorry, it's it's a, yeah, it's like that. It's exactly like that game, uh, the way you just described, at least as yeah. far as I know. And it had like worlds and bosses and everything like that, like a traditional Mario game. The only difference was they optimized it more for mobile. In a vertical straight format. Yeah. But that game of Fortune is going to be the first, probably the first of them to go. I think after that, I, th- I have a feeling that Mario Kart Tour would be the next one up. Mostly because I think the player base for that game has been dwindling. And a lot of people are just not a fan of how Nintendo was aggressive, aggressive on their microtransactions. Mm-hmm. So I think that game will be the one to go after that. And I think after that, they'll probably just leave Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem. Because oh, Fire Emblem Heroes made Nintendo stupid money. Surprisingly, like you would think Mario would have been the one making the most money for Nintendo's mobile ambition. Nah, Fire Emblem Heroes was all the, the mobile money. Yeah, all I can only. Yeah, I can only guess why, because yeah, th- Nobody really knows what Fire Emblem is besides, I don't know. Most recently, people, I guess, know what it is. It was Japan only for a little while, right? Yeah. Actually, believe it or not, Fire Emblem Heroes, actually, not Fire Emblem Heroes, Fire Emblem Awakening was literally the litmus test for if Fire Emblem was going to continue or not. Oh. And if Fire Emblem Awakening did not succeed, that series would have been done on the 3DS. And Mike and Ike and Roy would live on just only Smash, yeah, in Melee. Just a Smash Brothers character, pretty much. Yeah. But the thing is, is that Fire Emblem Awakening did succeed. And because of that, we got Fire Emblem Fates. We got a remake of Shadow Dragon at... Not Shadow Dragon. Uh, Gaiden at... Fire Emblem Gaiden as Echo Shadow of Valentia. And then we got Three Houses on the Switch. And, that, and this mobile game actually came after that. So Fire Emblem Heroes actually made more money for Nintendo's mobile games than Mario Kart Tour and Mario Run did. And that's pretty good. <laughs> and and you think and like I said, you would have thought Mario would have been the more popular one on mobile. Nah, it was Fire Emblem, the series. Yeah, though. or at least, or or at least a really a better. Mario Kart game that isn't leaning so heavily into pay to win, I guess. Yeah. Um, considering how many fucking, um, you know, units. Considering that Mario Kart 8 as a whole thing, I think on the Switch alone, surpassed the sales of the Wii U, right? Wasn't that what happened? Or was it like the entirety of Mario Kart 8? 
it was at like 40 or 50 million units or something like that. How almost half the Nintendo Switch audience has a Mario Kart. Jeez. Like I have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. It's right freaking here. I have Mario Kart 8 on my Wii. I have Mario. No, I can't download it. Hey, I got Mario Kart 8 on my Wii U and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on my Switch. I wanted to play that on yeah. my multiplayer and experience that booster course pass, bruh. <laughs> bruh. <laughs> I don't know. That's... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> anyways, um, but one last thing I just want to talk about real quick before we go is the fact that we actually have an update that released on the Switch and it added what was essentially a long requested feature. And that's what is what they call groups. Oh, yeah, groups. Now, a lot of people just wanted folders to organize their software. So you have like a Mario folder or like a Zelda folder or yeah, a Hatsune Miku folder because there are Hatsune Miku games on the Switch. Whatever you do, don't scroll down. No, I'm being serious on that tweet. Do not scroll down. Swear to God, he fucking scrolled down out of morbid curiosity. I didn't. We're just gonna go right to the group page. So you can see here, if you go to that link that they provided in the tweet, there you could scroll down. You could kind of see like an image of what what this all is. So you what you would do essentially is you go to your all software group. So you get this usually once you get to like ten or more pieces of software, and this will allow you to create groups. To better organize your games and you could like select like okay i want a retro gaming group so i have like my genesis app my 64 app my snes app and my nes app put it all in a group there you go and then it makes it easy to find so when you go to your all software group you just go to your group and there you go nice uh, this also did do a minor tweak to Bluetooth audio to make the to make that experience better. But I believe this is the update that increased the boost of the Bluetooth audio. But all of that, that's about it. And, and it's kind of just folders in a sense, right? Well, one of the main problems that people had with this i with this is the fact that. You can't exactly, they're not right pinned front in the home screen. You have to go, oh, okay. you have to go to your all software tab to then be able to see your, the groups that you made. Oh, but, I see. But it is a step in the right direction. At least it is essentially folders. Like you said, make things quick. Yeah, and I guess so. Organized. So rather have to go all the year, all rather than have to scroll through your all software to get to that one Bomberman game that you wanted to play for like since launch. I'm easy way to do it, but looking at Nintendo as a whole, it's marred with preservation controversy, mostly. And while there's a quality of lot, it's kind of similar to the PlayStation. There's a good chunk of controversy with PlayStation. They veered heavily toward the live service stuff. They haven't made... I mean, granted, they're still going to do the single-player stuff. PlayStation leaned heavily toward their live service stuff. 
And then they have a couple quality life changes for this main system. Nintendo, preservation is fucked. And a quality life improvement for the Switch. That's such a blunt statement, but it's kind of true. <laughs> also, there's like there's that one situation where being blunt is kind of the way to go. But yeah, what do you think of Nintendo overall this week? Uh, we need to build a resistance and uh, build a better switch. I'll get the rubber ducky army. Let's go. I'm fucked. If I sidestep, will my character disappear? I'm sidestepping. Yay! I'm gone. <laughs> Hell hath followed. <laughs> oh shit, I'm big. Why am I big? <laughs> Fucking Mario with your damn mushroom. Oh, okay, I'm normal size. <laughs> you hit a paratrooper or something. I don't know. Yeah, paratrooper. Yeah. Um... And then we also have Fortnite getting a no build mode. And that's not the no build mode that might have been in the previous, you know, seasons. That is standard battle royale and other default modes for 9 days and this was uh this was this article dated 20th of March. Yeah, somewhere... Oh, the 20th of March. Okay. Um, so... Oh, wow. Wait. Okay, so... This is lasting for a whole season. Yeah. Uh, Fortnite's removed building from its default mode for nine days to mark, the, to mark the start of a new season. But yeah, I believe now they even confirmed that it's going to be an actual edition. You can just select no build and have fun. So, you know, um, I, th I think there were new people to Fortnite that were pining for this mode way back when in chapter one. Mm -hmm. And now it's actually a thing. I was kind of pining for it because I was like, building? What is this? What is this Minecraft? <laughs> Kekalot! Sorry. <laughs> what is this building bullshit magic Kekalot? Sasenzu beans! Sorry. You know, for a second there, I would let it slide and call that duck Bulma, but I would just. <laughs> I think Bulma's the blue haired lady. I'm not sure. Wife of better. Vegeta. Yeah. Or, uh, I don't know. The mother Girlfriend of friend of Scott Pilgrim. That, that girlfriend of Scott Pilgrim was Ramona Flowers. But yeah, we'll go with that. Anyway, yeah, so... Yeah, we'll go with that. Like, so, yes, I don't know. But yeah, uh... What do you think... Oh yeah, and by the way, not only did they remove building from the game too, but if you look down here... That from March 20th until April 3rd, all proceeds of the game will be donated to the humanitarian crisis in aid of the war in Ukraine. What? Holy crap. Okay. 
Wow. Okay. That's cool. So Epic's not making any money right now for the game. They're just going to put it all towards helping the situation in Ukraine. All right. They're not making any money. I'm going to go downstairs, hop on that Xbox, 13500 80 bucks here, 80 bucks there, 80 bucks there. Sorry. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. Actually, I don't hate Epic Games. No, but this actually be a good time to buy a skin if you want to help out the situation in Ukraine. Yeah. Or not support Epic Games. Mm. Not support Epic Games, but at the same time, have fun support with the game. Support a great cause. Have fun playing a game and, you know, maybe trying a new mode out. I don't know if it, I think the, yeah, this, this mode I believe should still be up. By the time the seat, by the time this finishes up, but I think a lot of people really enjoy this mode. And yeah, I mean, did you ever get a chance to catch the ability to play this before during the few days around? I remember on Sunday when we were originally going to record this, I did ask if you if you had a chance to play this. Uh, no, because I, you know, I don't really play Fortnite at all, but. I figured a lot of newer people would go on it because of the lack of building and buildings a bit, you know, it's a bit. I honestly want to try this out and see it from myself, how the game would play without building. I mean, I obviously would be more like a traditional battle right now, like PUBG, but I do think I mean, it it would actually give me a chance to fight because I don't have to be absolute building God. Now, yeah. the two of us know someone that actually is really good at Fortnite. He's busy. Yeah. He's busy nowadays, but not our former Kozos, but someone else that we know. Oh yeah. That guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking of that guy too, but yeah. Um, uh, I wonder what his opinion is. Mm, I'm sure he actually be pretty good at this. Um, I actually have to text him pretty soon, too, so I can actually see how he's been doing, because, oh my god, I actually missed talking to that kid. Yeah, certainly. Um. Um, but another major announcement that came up during, you know, the whole time is a new Witcher game. And a new saga. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, because I think this is a pretty important announcement here, especially for CD Projekt Red, who has to have its own redemption arc to prove itself after a certain lovely game on my shelf. Yes, uh, this is... Uh, uh, Witch Dead Redemption for CD Projekt Red. Red Project Redemption, holy shit, yes! That fucking fits. Um, yeah. So I wait for this page to load, I mean, knowing The Witcher, here it is. So, this is from the, this is from The Witcher Twitter page, and it says, we're happy now that the next installment of The Witcher series of video games is currently in development, kicking off a new saga for the franchise. This is an exciting moment as we're moving from Red Engine to Unreal Engine 5. So, and th the funny thing is, C Cyberpunk 2077 is still using Red Engine, 
So take that for what you will. Um, I take that as um, they changed engines before, but they think the game is in a better state right now, so let's not change the engine any further and uh, abandon it as soon as uh, we get started on the next game. <laughs> but here's a kicker, so, though. Yeah. From what, when they're look at this, beginning a multi-year strategic partnership with Epic Games. It covers not only licensing, but technical development of Unreal Engine 5, as well as potential future versions of Unreal Engine where relevant. We'll close a collaborative Epic Games developers with the primary goal being to help tailor the engine for open world experiences. At this point, no further details regarding the game to develop a time frame or release date are available. And the Red Engine, which I mentioned earlier, the technology which powers Cyberpunk 2077, is still being used for the development of the upcoming Cyberpunk 2077 expansion. Whew. Um, could this potentially hint at Epic Games possibly sometime in the future if this partnership works out buying CD Projekt Red? Oof. No, I hope not. I just hope that we'll see. Um, this is named Geralt in the in Fortnite. Right, because we see like with Sony's. I mean. It's a minor off-topic rant, but we see how Sony does the tactic of let's do a long-term partnership and then buy a studio off. Uh-huh. I know, I mean, Epic is more like Microsoft. They bought random studios that have no real relationship with Epic just for sake of buying them. Like, we've seen this especially with Harmonics. Yeah. But looking at this, I mean, this could be an example. I mean, CD Projekt Red, even though Cyberpunk 2077 was a flop, Let's be let's be real here. Even if I enjoyed the game for what it was, is could potentially be in an acquisition state at some point for Epic Games. I think. I mean, obviously, this would suck for those who are in the modding community because that means that all oh, Witcher games in the future would be the Epic Games launcher. But I mean, Unreal Engine is a proven successful engine and I think would benefit CD Projekt Red in the long run. Oh yeah, especially that Matrix teaser. It only it only shows what can be, not what you know what could be, you know. Exactly. I think CD Projekt Red realized, wow, developing this engine for Cyberpunk 2077 took a long ass time. Like a, it's like kind of Kale Infinite. A good chunk of the development was just on the engine. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we don't want this to happen again. We don't want to deal with the poor reception of our game. Let's just shift to an easy develop engine and make sure it, you know, it actually works and not be a Bethesda. Mm -hmm. um, also, I just realized I called him Gerald. His name's Gwent. I, I, you know, three o'clock at night, I'm going to wake up and that's the only thing I'm going to be thinking about is why did I call him Geraldo? <laughs> Well, actually, you're right, because the protagonist's name, the guy, is Geralt. Oh, and what the fuck? Gwent is the card game. Oh, okay. That they have for The Witcher. All right, then. Never mind. So you're right on the first, the first time. All right, never mind, then. Uh, now I'm going to be thinking of this fuck up in the middle of the night. And then you're going to make a short off of it like you did with another short that we did a while ago. Did I say, oh my 
gold. Let's not talk about that. No, not this current time, because... Nope. Yeah, that relate that short kind of pertains to a country that, even though it no longer exists, its remnants is existing within another country that's invading another country, and we don't want to risk getting, you know. Yeah. Not at this time. We have a potential future episode where we're going to go all in on that whole thing, but not right now. No. However, though, one thing that we do want to talk about real quick. Battle Pass for Grand Theft Auto. Literally. But not quite. It's more of like a a subscription that tells you. um, Oh, yeah, you're getting like $5,000 every time you uh, pay it every month. Plus a bunch of other little bonuses like, uh, you know, um, there's a few like um upgrades uh you know there's a few little things um like you know three times gta dollars and rp on like a certain races like how special works race series and 2x car meet rep on the street race series uh there's also um right but keep in mind that this is only available on the playstation store on the PS5 or the Microsoft store for the Xbox Series X and S. So PC avoids this whole mess altogether. Which I'm happy about, actually, because, like, the PC version of GTA 5, playing online, it is hacked beyond belief. And rocks, and the fact, the way the security on it is, oh, it's terrible. You can't get into a lobby. You, I'd rather play alone with friends than play on a... Uh, you know, a public lobby. Before, you got sniped. Now you can just get, like, hacked, I guess. Because yeah. of, like, terrible security. I honestly hope at some point there's going to be enough backlash that they cancel this whole thing because I do feel like it makes Grand Theft Auto Online even more pay-to-win. Uh, well, let me tell you, the rock star we used to know yeah, is they're gone. Dead. They're dead. Like, let me tell you, like, it's just it just shows that GTA Online is their main focus and everything pre like 2020, I guess, maybe maybe 2018 because of Red Dead, you know, maybe pre 2019, everything pre 2019 was the old Rockstar. And now it's like, actually, I would argue pre 2013. Yeah, maybe. Because, I mean, 2013 was right when Grand Theft Auto V was released. And as soon as I saw that GTA V online money, what was yeah, going to be going to be single-player expansions for GTA V got morphed purely for online. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, I just saw that, you know, the Red Dead, they could... It just showed that they could release a great single-player, a really quality experience... You know, um, at least for the cinem- cinematography sort of stuff, gameplay is lacking a lot. But uh, versus the money from online, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as we mentioned here, uh, being a GTA Plus member gets you a recurring monthly GTA $500,000 direct deposit to your main bank account, which 
Yeah, I remember back in the olden days, we could just go on Twitch Prime or just click on their website or whatever, and they'd be like, yo, here's $500,000, go nuts. <laughs> but now it seems like they're tying that to a $6 per month subscription. Yep. And it is $5.99 subscription fee, charged monthly until canceled. You can cancel anytime. Yep. And as we'll see here, now, keep in mind, a breakdown of the benefits members will receive in the first month of membership. But here's a catch, though. If they're saying first month, they'll change the benefits every single month. What? Oh, shit. That, yeah, I see where the loophole is. Fuck. Never mind. Ah. So I feel like the 500... Uh-huh. So the $500,000 a month will probably stick around, but everything else could change. Yeah, probably. Like, for instance, the Principate Prince Divest 8, which is uh, which, uh, which comes alongside a complimentary house special works upgrade for it before it may be available to purchase by the general public. So you get stuff before peop- other people get it. Oh. Uh, so think about it that way. What if someone had the really cool, super fast hyper car? So an oppressor Mark II. <laughs> make that a Mark III, for the sake or of this Mark example. III. For the yeah. sake of this example, we'll make it a Mark III since that's not even out yet. I don't know if it will be. Make that Mark III in a hypothetical situation something that the GTA Plus members receive literally a month before everybody else. And the only way you can get that car for that first month is if you pay them $6 to get that vehicle. I mean, it's a minor fee, but I get what, like, I get that that is still pay to win. And I don't like it. No. And they also come with the auto shop looking in, located in La Mesa, introduces an assortment of gameplay updates from Los Santos tuners. Current auto shop owners can relocate to La Mesa at no additional cost. Okay. They also waived Los Santos car meet membership fees. Current Los Santos car meet members with GTA Plus will be reimbursed $50,000 during this event period. Mm-hmm. Yacht owners can upgrade to the Aquarius Super Yacht at no additional cost. The Gussette Frog Tee and Booker Prolapse Basketball Top and Shorts automatically added to your wardrobe. So you're getting content that, I mean, in an online environment, is likely to be non-accessible content for everybody else. Yeah, but it's cosmetic stuff. True. I mean, some other stuff is not, but... No, it isn't, but the point is it's still unaccessible content, whether it's cosmetic or not. Yeah. The conveyor livery for the Mammoth Avenger, HVY, APC, and the TMO2 Conjali. And a section, a selection of free paints and emblems from the auto shop. And three times GTA money and RP on How Special Works race series. And two times car meetup rep on the streets race series. Additionally, GTA Plus members can also take advantage of special GTA Plus shark cards that provide extra bonus cash from the PlayStation Store on the PS5 and Microsoft Store. 
Oh yeah, it says down here every month GTA Plus will deliver a new set of exclusive rewards. So mm -hmm. yeah, it will change. So probably what they're saying is if you want this stuff now, you have to subscribe to this membership. Otherwise, forget it. Yeah. So literally, they're trying to make it, hey, $6 a month, you get exclusive stuff? It's like yeah. that time which I remember back in the day when I actually bought all of us, literally the starter packs. Hmm. God. That was annoying. But back to this, it's just like, uh, why do you need to introduce a subscription service to a game that's already making ludicrous amounts of money? And there's already massive backlash for this game already because of it. And now no one will probably upgrade to the Xbox ser Series or PS5 because of the stupid subscription service if they're trying to get people to upgrade. Which, by the way, is not a free upgrade, by the way. Oh, yeah, and keep in mind, if you transfer your online stuff over to the new consoles, it's deleted from the old consoles. It's literally just ported over and... There's, it's not copied over, it's literally cut up and put into the newer system. So if you have friends that don't currently have a PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series XS, um, then I would just stick with the old version and wait for stock to return. I also would say this is a game that really could take advantage of crossplay. I swear to God. If you minus the PC hackers, this game could really use crossplay. Oh yeah, it would kind of uh, help cut down on the hackers because maybe Rockstar and Take Two security um, team, I guess, whatever would it would be, um, might actually crack down on PC hackers and make their network coding a lot less uh, open source, I guess. Mm. On top of it, too, I believe there is a way which you can upload your save data to the Rockstar Cloud. So what you could technically do is you transfer your date you before you back up your save data to the PS5 and Xbox Series version. Just back up your save to the cloud and then re-download it. Might work. I'm not sure if that will but it might i think it actually uses the cloud but i'm not sure yeah you just have to make sure you do it before the transfer okay that's a, that if you want to take advantage of that just do it beforehand hmm. but other than that or though, make it backwards compatible i don't know <laughs> something weird like that like uh i don't know like diamond and pearl putting the uh Putting uh, sapphire, ruby, and emerald, or fire, red, and leaf green into the, the bottom of the DS. Well, keep in Something mind like that, that the PS5 and Xbox Series X and X can play the Xbox One version or PS4 version of the system, so it's not like. Yeah. Well. That's possible. But, anyways, and then we have to deal with the never ending saga of the Activision Blizzard saga. Hell uh, yeah. Um, we'll try to get through it quickly because I'm sure we have a lot of interesting news here. Yeah, I mean, I can we just like just, I don't know, fast forward. Yeah, we're gonna do a um, quick discussion on this, but pretty much what they're saying is 
is as reported by activated Blizzard lawsuit containing new allegations of sexual harassment and discrimination. As reported by Bloomberg, the suit was filed in the Los Angeles County Superior Court on behalf of a current employee referred to as Jane Doe by attorney Lisa Bloom. According to the lawsuit, Doe has worked at Activision Blizzard since 2017 as a senior administrative assistant in the IT department, and during the time had experienced what they describe as an alcohol-soaked culture of sexual harassment. The lawsuit reiterates the allegations that Activision Blizzard has cultivated a frat boy culture that enables a rampant sexism and details how Doe was pressured to take shots and share an embarrassing secret as part of an initiation dinner that took place on her first day of work. And yeah, and you can see here that Doe claimed there was continuous pressure to drink alcohol at work events and take part in cube crawls that so women verbally and physically harassed. She also claimed that after work events such as a jackbox event, which requires players to submit answers to various props, often resulted in responses that were most sexual in nature. The suit also details how Acto attempted to dress more conservatively to avoid being harassed and had to deal with sexual advances made by her supervisors. After complaining about those experiences, Doe claimed she was told it was just a case of leadership being nice and to keep those concerns to herself, avoid damaging the company. In a bit to escape the hostile environment, Joe said she applied to a number of open positions within the company but was rejected. She then wrote a letter to Blizzard's then president, J. Allen Brock, recounting her experiences of harassment, at which point she was offered and accepted a new role in a different department, albeit one that provided a lower salary and less status within the company. After that, Doe says she applied for an open executive position in March, not March, uh, in November 2021, was subsequently rejected after speaking out about her experiences of harassment, discrimination, and retaliation at a press conference in December 2021. And you can see here the lawsuit seeking numerous court orders against Activision Blizzard require the company to insult a rotating human resource department to squash conflicts of interest, hire and retain a neutral investigation firm, and fire CEO Bobby Kotick, which we all want to see happen. Um, there, I try to rush yes. it. Through, yeah, so there you go. I try to rush it through as quickly as I can because... Yeah, but I just wanted to make this point. Um when she spoke up about what was going on, uh, she was offered to and accepted a new role in a different department, albeit one that provided a low, lower salary and less status within the company. You wonder why there is the whole, like, uh, women get paid less sort of, uh, you know, argument. is because the, you know, the position she's in, she would rather lose money than be harassed and possibly have emotional damage you know from this bullshit you know i i fucking despise this you know this is like this is like at one point in this world in a first world is this okay and accepted in a culture you know it's like i don't know i don't really want to talk too much about it anymore because it's, no. it's it's just we we all know that they're scummy and i don't want to rehash that it's just no there's only one thing we should have to say about this because honestly i mean seeing that this person get essentially feels like demotion and then not be able to take open executive positions is literally sexual harassment. And also, say the famous phrase, Alpaca. Bobby Kotick. 
Exactly. Because now we can talk about how Steam is going to be coming to Chrome OS. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, about this. Oh, my God. I, yeah, like, I wonder, though, um, would it be its own separate operating system? Is Chrome based on Linux or something? I really wonder. So, pretty much what happened at the week prior, Google, Google mistakenly showed up a presentation slide that appeared to confirm the long-awaited support for, of Steam on Chromebooks. The presentation mentioned a site people could read with information on how to get started with alpha testing, but no site materialized. Well, apparently that then Google gave then all the details you need to use Steam on Chrome OS. As expected, only certain high-powered Chromebooks, keep in mind, you have to have a, a relatively beefy Chromebook, will see support for now and everything is in the very early stages of development. In other words, don't expect this don't expect this to give a shot and see perfect results. And then they mentioned the models down below for which Chromebooks you'll need to use. Which are the yeah. Acer, the Acer Chromebook 514, the Acer Chromebook 515, the Acer Chromebook Spin 713, the Asus Chromebook Flip CX5, Asus Chromebook CX9. HP Pro C640 G2 and the Lenovo 5i14. And as you'll see, that you'll need a configuration of the above Chromebook with an Intel i5 processor or better and an 8 gigabytes of RAM or more. If you have a Core i3 sub 8 gigabytes of RAM configuration for any of the above laptops, Steam for or Chrome OS will not work. And you can see, like, oh, down here, like, they give you some instructions how to do everything. And in the Chrome browser, navigate to Chrome and enter this little code here. And then eventually, it'll allow you to follow this up to install Steam. And there you go. Um, personally, I, I, I'm happy about this, but, not, like, uh, it... Like I, I, st I still wonder, will it only support Linux-based titles? Like, what is Chrome OS built on? You know, what would it support? Because I don't know. Just um, you know, if this does actually become a a, uh, a uh, like fully fledged thing, not just uh, um, you know. And also, I wonder because uh, you know, with Google with Stadia and stuff, I wonder. Um, is this it their is way of getting operating system? Oh, uh, okay. It is derived so... from the free software Chromium OS and uses the Google Chrome browser as principal user interface. Okay. So, um, I wonder if this is their way to take another stab at uh, video games and stuff, considering Stadia and all that. But, yeah. I feel like this is pretty just, cool. Yeah, I feel like this is just. I mean. This could, I mean, granted, if you could get the entirety of Steam over to, say, Chrome OS, I mean, one of the main perks of, you know, using a Windows computer is the fact that Windows has access to all this vast library of games, most of which is due to Steam. And if you could just take Steam and move it to other operating systems... Then practically anything can game. Suddenly, you'd probably lose Windows' major advantage of being a production powerhouse and a gaming powerhouse. 
like if you could yeah. just go to a lighter weight Chrome OS or like Steam OS even, and they work well, you could just focus more on Linux instead. Mm-hmm. But going back to Windows real quick, there is a new issue that was found with the Windows 11 watermark. Well, specifically a new watermark. So pretty oh, much, yeah. So the idea is that Microsoft is going to push ahead with plans to warn Windows 11 users that have installed the operating system on unsupported hardware, and they're going to do this by putting a watermark on the bottom right corner of your screen. I'm going to show this right here, and if you look at the screenshot here for of Tom Orrin. He has a virtual box up. You can see on here, the bottom right, system requirements not met. Go to settings to learn more. And you're going to be staring at that for a very, very long time. And another thing they noticed, too, is that Microsoft's testing changes last month, but they're now rolling out to a release preview just ahead of the full release to all Windows 11 users in the coming days. While Microsoft doesn't mention the addition of a watermark, its improvements list for this update, testers have noticed it's included. System requirements not met. Go to settings to learn more. Wow, that, like, I can't wait to see that burnt into my monitor. <laughs> uh... Honestly, I do think for your computer, you should be fine. I don't think you'll see it on your monitors at all. Oh, yeah, I know, but I'm speaking for the people who have, like, an i7, uh, no, not, not an i7, a 7,000, uh, well, not 7,000, fucking hell, a 7th gen or, you know, a Zen 1 Ryzen, you know? I can confirm that I'm not, uh, this is why I'm not upgrading my computer yet, but I can't upgrade it at all because I have it Intel 6700K on my computer which not means... to mention not to mention that uh gpu prices while they're slowly going down they they're not doing their utmost to be affordable still <laughs> right so i'd like to be able to make a new computer but for right now i'm dealing with this computer and watching sue metal ride a hotsney miku now is is it riding or is it actually you know Ride on, riding with the, you know, whoopsh. No, it's actually riding like a Lapras. Yeah. You know, considering, uh, you know. You know. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Well, speaking of transportation then, I mean, obviously it sucks that we have to deal though. Now it's like beforehand, you have a lot of computers that can't upgrade to Windows 11. Now you have to deal with computers that have been able to install Windows 11 without these hard requirements get the mark of shame. Literally, it's like, um, you're not a filthy pirate. You're just running it on bad hardware and we don't like it, so, haha. Upgrade now. Sponsored by Intel. Sorry, <laughs> not really. Not not our show, at least. Maybe Intel uh, and Microsoft, I don't know. But we have a couple of articles here regarding what's been going on with Uber, at least. And there's a uh -oh. couple new things they've added here. One actually is pretty interesting and goes against what we think of for Uber. The other is a feature that's currently discontinued right now that may come back eventually. 
So let's start off with the let's start off with the the thing that seems rather interesting, and that Uber is striked a deal to list all New York City taxis on its rideshare app. Now, this is an interesting take here because we think of Uber as like this, you know, anti-taxi sort of thing. Uh, a little bit more, um, a little bit more convenient due to the fact that you don't need cash usually unless they have like a square reader or something. <laughs> you don't need cash to use Uber. You need to use a credit card. Mostly. Mm -hmm. And you can see here, Uber hit by driver shortages and assured in food delivery requests during the pandemic was New York City taxi cabs on its app. A partnership that could recent that until recently would have been unthinkable with both camps fighting ferociously for the same customers. After a period in which waits for an Uber ride grew longer due to a driver shortage, the partnership will boost the number of ride available and gives New York City cab drivers access to a massive pool of commuters with an Uber app on their phones. The move is just the first of a series of new partnerships Uber has planned. And they say, according to Wall Street Journal, Uber aims to have every taxi in the world on its app. A dramatic shift from the company's former vow to disrupt the taxi industry. And... And there had been hints, tensions between Uber taxi services had begun to thaw as Uber expanded aggressively into the very lucrative food delivery businesses and needed a growing supply of delivery drivers. During a pandemic, Uber's food deliveries outpaced rides given to humans as millions sheltered at home. Gross bookings for delivery services at Uber reached $13.4 billion in the final quarter of 2021. And the agreement on that Thursday came, comes amid the backdrop of more cities moving to regulate the explosive growth of Uber and other app-based ride services, including New York City, which placed a temporary cap on new licenses for riding ride-hailing services in 2018. And they mentioned how the New York City Workers Alliance, a group that represents taxi drivers and has been critical for Uber of Uber ride-hailing apps, said it would push for negotiations. After its business after its business model has shown the failure to protect drivers from ridership downturns and rising gas prices, Uber is returning to its roots. Yellow cabs. And this is from Bhairavi Desai, the executive director of this organization. The New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission said Thursday that it is always interested in tools that can provide more economic opportunities for drivers. We are excited about any proposal to more easily connect drivers with taxis and look forward to learning more about this agreement between Uber and the taxi apps and ensuring it complies with the TLC rules. And yeah, and honestly, this is a very, like I said before, this is a very interesting move to see for Uber, particularly venturing into, you know, use rather than being able to just hire more drivers, they're going to say, okay, let's just incorporate taxis into our whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the way I said it before when I was looking at this is like, it's kind of like instead of if you can't beat them, join them, it's like, well, it's kind of like that, but uh, it's more like 
you know, Uber is really overpowering the the entire taxi cab space. So they're they are kind of in a sense joining them, but in a slightly, um, you know, it's going to be a slow process. Of course, you know, it's not just going to be like I can call. I don't know the cab driver down the street and say, "By the way, you support Uber." <laughs> you know, I can't just order him from the app. Um, but I mean, I guess I'm happy about it. I guess I mean, as long as it's not, you know, uh, imperializing all the taxis and like, you know, uh, almost forcing them to work for Uber exclusively, not just have an independent service. That's pretty much my only like small I guess asking question I guess I don't know right um, like the thing that makes it interesting is also if you think about it you have taxis yeah. and Uber and now all of a sudden it's like it's kind of like now that taxis accept another form of payment essentially what this is yeah pretty much so it's, it's kind of as if, like, it's, like, I don't know. In fact, so, it's interesting, too, to think about it. This means that now I can go to New York City and be, like, to have the worry about waving a taxi all day, I can be, like, Uber, done. Yeah, certainly. So it makes, if you think about it, it actually makes getting around the city even easier. Yeah. I just worry what it means for, um, you know, for actual taxis, I guess. Well, I'm sure there's probably a cut in place they give. They give. They're like, hey, uh, here's a cut that you get for doing with us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'd assume that, but I don't know. Right. Maybe it'll be a great way to start up a business in a sense. Now you can just rely on Uber for, you know, your thing. Even though I think a lot of Uber drivers are... Uh, Voluntary, I guess. Yeah, they're all contracted essentially in the way you think about it. You go, you can literally, if you literally, if you, you are able to drive, you can just go on Uber or DoorDash or whatever and be like, yo, I want to sign up for this. Wow. Okay. So that's why there's so many DoorDash problems. Literally, that's literally, you can, like, literally, if you wanted to, you if yourself you get bacon fries without cheese. Sorry, <laughs> literally or you, bacon. If, literally, alpaca. If you ever got yourself a driver's license, you too could be a DoorDash. You could be a DoorDash Grubhub Uber driver. Yeah, and hopefully, I don't steal your bacon or cheese. Yeah, exactly. Hugh, Hugh, Hugh. Earlier episode. Yeah. Hugh, Hugh, Hugh. Sorry. No worries. But Uber also is doing another thing. They're temporarily ditching the split fare feature. Oh, okay. Wait, the, the, wh why? So pretty what? much to scroll down the article here, there's a little email here. It says split fare feature comes to an end. Friendships are about to get a bit more annoying. Hmm, <laughs> I wonder. This, we're sorry to let you know that from March 21st, we are just continuing the split fare feature, which allows you to share the price of a trip with other riders. While we know it can be frustrating to lose a feature that you have come to rely on, we're sure that we are continually working to improve the, your ride experience, share 
improve your ride sharing experience in other new ways. So watch the space. All other features will continue to be part of your usual Uber experience. And we hope to see you on the road with your family and friends again soon. And they mentioned how, well, I'm going to click on that. While the email states March 21st at the date of discontinuation, Uber later confirmed to Mashable that this was an error. The feature will actually be temporarily deactivated next month, April. So in other words, this is actually being canceled in April, not March 21st. But still, it's being temporarily canceled. Like, yeah, like, that's actually kind of crazy to think about. Like, you can't just go ahead and just have two people share a trip on their phones. I don't understand why it had to be removed and replaced. You know, why couldn't they just, like, sunset it while also including the, I guess, brand new feature, you know, a brand new version of it? It's like, why, like, it should have been rolled out, like, how you have a website feature, like, like new website layouts like with Facebook or Reddit even. Yeah, there's like a transition period that um you know how like on YouTube you used to have your banner in the background, it like blurred out a tad bit and now it's uh just a banner across the top of your website or your uh your uh channel. Yeah. There should at least be a trial period or something, not just abruptly discontinue it and not have anything to replace it with like there should be something like let's just speculate what do, how do you think we could have a, a better split fare feature uh i don't know how do you improve telling somebody hey want to pay this fee hey want to pay this fee you know the only way you can do it is like instead of splitting fare it can be like uh well, it's kind of, it kind of is the same thing, but hey, everybody put your change into the hat and we'll pay it off, you know, <laughs> mm. sort of thing. Yeah, there has to, I think that when you Uber, there should at least be like, you know, percentage, like, hey, how much of a percent do I haven't had to use this feature myself, so I can't tell you. All I know is I've used Uber for one reason, and that's to use the electric scooters to navigate San Sacramento, and that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, literally, if you go to Sacramento, everybody, uh, they have electric scooters that you can ride around the entire city with. Oh, yeah, it's freaking amazing. Actually, you can just walk up to a random scooter and just go on your Uber app. You scan the QR code over and you just drive around the city. That's actually kind of hilarious. But I like the idea of that. It's just electric scooters. You can just go out around and just ride around wherever. Yeah. Um. I mean. But is it as cool as turning 2D photos into 3D objects in, I don't know, paint, I guess? I don't know. No, it's not paint, but the idea is a certain algorithm. It's artificial intelligence, actually. It's artificial intelligence that turns these 2D photos into 3D objects. Yeah. So as we can see here, we have NVIDIA's Nerf AI instantly turned 2D photos into 3D objects. 
And what this is, is it's a technology called Neural Radiance Field, or NERF. It involves training AI algorithms to enable the creation of 3D objects for two-dimensional two photos. And it's the capability to fill in the blank, so to speak, by interpolating what the 2D photos didn't capture. And this could actually lead to advance in various fields, such as video games and autonomous driving. And apparently this is the fastest one to date that only needs second to train and generate a 3D scene. It says it only takes seconds to train the model called instant nerf using dozens of still photos and the camera angles they were taken from. After that, it's capable of generating a 3D scene within just tens of milliseconds. Like other nerf techniques, it requires images taken from multiple positions. And for photos with multiple subjects, pictures taken without too much motion is preferred. Otherwise, the result would be blurry. And there's a video you can check out here showing the technology off. And as you can see here, it says, NVIDIA explained that early Nerf models don't take too long to produce results either. It only takes them a few minutes to render a 3D scene, even if the subject in some of the images is obstructed by things such as pillars and furniture. And training them only took hours. NVIDIA's version only takes seconds to train because it relies on a technique the company developed called multi-resolution hash grid encoding that's optimized to run efficiently on a GPUs. It can even run on a single GPU, though it's fastest on cards with tensor cores that provide a performance boost for artificial intelligence. 3090s galore. <laughs> oh, yeah. The company believes that instant nerf could be used to train robots and to help autonomous driving systems understand the sizes and shapes of real-world objects. NVIDIA also sees a future for the technique in entertainment and architecture, where it can be used as a way to generate 3D models for real environments that creators can modify during the planning process. So yeah, like this could actually be pretty cool to see utilized. Like, what do you think of this alpaca? Um, I think it would really, um, if it was integrated with, um, you know, Google Earth or Google Maps, you know, the street, view, street View and that sort of stuff. I think, like, like I, th I think they use something like that. I know they have like a 3D camera on their trucks, and that's when they drive by and they snap a bunch of photos every, you know, every half a second, I guess. Mm. And that's how that's created. But using like an AI to, um, that's actually trained to like understand its surroundings in a sense. Um, I think that would maybe like allow Google Maps to be a bit more lively feeling even. Yeah. Um, like when you said Google Maps, you know what I first thought of right away? Microsoft Binbos. You're right about Microsoft, but a specific game I think could actually utilize this because even it, it, it uses Bing Maps actually, I believe, to generate data, and that's Microsoft Flight Simulator. Oh yes, yeah, that would be pretty cool actually. Now you mention it, yeah, because it uses Bing Map data to actually create all the like ninety percent of the environments, and everything minus the scenes that they actually developed in house for that game. But having that be able to, you know, be quicker to make really compelling like cityscapes to fly your planes around would actually be really fascinating. Yeah, that would be quite nice. 
Because um, <sighs> Flight uh, Simulator is already a good-looking game. Like, one of the most breathtaking games out there. And actually, stresses GP is pretty hard. But to make the game even better by, like, integrating this technology to make map development, like, even faster. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that alongside, um, uh, you know, its uses, but also for, like, uh, game development it might save time on game development because instead of taking photos of leaves and pasting it onto a 3d model and you know just you know stitching up all the weird like uh you know stretchiness of it making it look more natural you probably take a photo of a house plant and in a sense just use that to create a jungle's worth of or like a forest worth of like terrain in a video game or go out to an actual forest and snap photos of the, of the rocks and then um be able to like uh have some because i know a lot of games nowadays they i mean even back then they used that you know doom actually most of the 3d sprite or the 2d sprites on there were just snapshots of uh 3d uh like uh like action figure models that uh, it's software made and I'd, I'd like to see that implemented into this, you know, to make that process a little bit easier, you know, I, you know, imagine, um, a time where I could take any old object, like, you know, figurine or I don't know, something like motherfucker. I, I said the wrong words. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, he's got the Hatsune Miku duck. Nice. Thanks, GameStop. Uh, or whoever I made got that. Off of Amazon, but still. Well, uh, whoever sold that, uh, you you did a fine job. You had fine craftsmanship, but. Your craftsmanship is being used for evil. <laughs> Imagine taking a soda can and like taking snapshots of it, and you'll be able to have like a, a way of um, having a 3D model of a soda can that isn't handmade. It's literally made by AI, and it's like um, generated to a T. You know. Right, and then no, and then finally, the days of being able to use. Unreal Engine tree scatter around an entire field will be no more. <laughs> oh yeah, or just use default Unity assets with a bit of palette swapping. <laughs> uh, yeah. Then you could just go now, out and take a picture of real trees and do that. I would love uh, for this technology to, um, like, you could take a screen, like a not a screenshot, a, a photograph or an. You know, take a photo of, I don't know, your backyard, and then you could like transfer that backyard into real life through this AI and through using a bit of, you know, a little bit of hard work, but also having the AI handle a lot of what most of it is. Mm. And like you could actually walk around your backyard and in VR. a game. 
In VR, yes. Oh my god, that would actually be pretty... I guess surreal, actually, because it's... You know. But yeah. why would you ever do that? You could just... I don't know. Maybe well, there's think like of it a, this way. There's Google Earth in VR on PC. Oh, yeah, yeah. I knew about that. Through Oculus. Now take that. Use the technology... No shit. Yeah, they could actually do that. That'd be pretty cool. So since we were talking about Google Maps earlier, just do Google Earth VR with this. And yeah, like I'm seriously mind blown about that. Uh, although I feel like uh, the metaverse would abuse this feature quite yes, a lot. The metaverse, one of our favorite terminologies in this entire show. Yes. Um, I mean, I don't know. At least nothing got leaked from uh, from from Metaverse yet. I don't want to know what lies. No, but we can say that there are some certain hackers out there that are ruining things for Microsoft and several of the companies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, Lapsus with the dollar sign at the end. Yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, this has been going on for a while now, but we kind of want to compile like the latest advancements of this whole thing because, my God, this shit is just completely fucked up. So, we're mostly focusing it on terms of Microsoft and Okta, but... A lot of companies have been impacted by this. Mm -hmm. And so as you can see here, Lapsus hackers leak 37 gigabytes of Microsoft's alleged source code. And they and the hacking group claims to have leaked the source code for Bing, Cortana, and other projects stolen from Microsoft's internal Azure DevOps server. Early Sunday morning, the Lapsus gang posted a screenshot to their Telegram channel indicated that they hacked Microsoft's Azure DevOps server containing source code for Bing, Cortana, and various other internal projects. And you can see the screenshot down here. Yeah. This looks a lot like the Microsoft Store. Hmm. And then Monday night, the hacking group posted a tort for a 9-gigabyte 7-zip archive contain the source code of over 250 products they say belong to Microsoft. When posting the torrent, Lapsus said it contained 90% of the source code for Bing and approximately 45% for the code for Bing Maps and Cortana. Even though they say only some of the source code would leak, Bleeping Computer is told that the uncompressed archive contains approximately 37 gigabytes of source code allegedly belonging to Microsoft. And you can see all the different folders down here. Mm -hmm. Bing Maps. Legacy. Bing Maps made of Bing Maps React Native. Like, all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And security researchers who have poured over the leaked files told 
bleeping appear that they appeared to be legitimate internal source code for Microsoft. Furthermore, they were told that some of the leaked products contained email documentation that were clearly used internally by Microsoft engineers to publish mobile apps. The projects appeared to be for web-based infrastructure, websites, or mobile apps with no source code for Microsoft desktop software released, including Windows, Windows Server, and with Microsoft Office. So, rest assured... Windows is fine, Windows Server is fine, and Microsoft Office is fine. But what about Bing? That's the only thing, you know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Bing is going to be kind of screwed on this one. But as you can see here, I mean, keep in mind, lapses impacted several companies, including NVIDIA, Samsung, Vodafone, Ubisoft, and Mercado Libre. And that most of the attacks have targeted source code repositories, allowing threat actors to steal sensitive proprietary data, such as NVIDIA's light hash rate technology, which I think we talked about earlier as well. Mm-hmm. The, the bypass, the ability for these cards to be limited for mining, which is crazy. Yeah, I, I believe that um, there was one point where there was there was they said that it was a uh, you know it was like a false positive and it actually ended up being malware one of them one mm-hmm. of those uh if i remember correctly all right and then afterwards microsoft detail dev 0537 criminal actor targeting organizations for data exfiltration exfiltration and destruction and they mentioned a little indirect paragraph here saying in recent weeks, Microsoft security teams have been actively tracking a large-scale social engineering and extortion campaign against multiple organizations with some seeing evidence of destructive elements. As this campaign accelerated, our teams have been focused on detection, customer notification, threat intelligence briefings, and sharing with our industry collaboration partners to understand the actor's tactics and targets. Over time, we have improved our ability to track this ta- actor and help customers minimize the impact of active and and in some cases worked with impacted organizations to stop attacks prior to data theft or destructive actions. Microsoft is committed to providing visibility into the malicious activity we've observed and sharing insights and knowledge of actor tactics that might be useful for other organizations to protect themselves. While our investigation into the most recent attacks is still in progress, we will continue to update this blog when we have more to share. The activity we have observed has been attributed to a threat group that Microsoft tracks as Dev 0537, also known as Lapsus. Dev 0537 is known for using a pure extortion and destruction model without deploying ransomware payloads. Dev 0537 started targeting organizations in the United Kingdom and South America, but expanded to global targets, including organizations in government, technology, telecom, media, retail, and healthcare sectors. Dev 0537 is also known to take over individual user accounts at cryptocurrency exchanges to drain cryptocurrency holdings. Well, look at that last point. Hmm. <laughs> All that hard earned Bitcoin that you've been buying up and mining. Gone. Yeah. Uh. Unlike most activity groups that stay under the radar, Dev 0537 doesn't seem to cover its tracks. They go as far as announcing their attacks on social media or advertising their intent to buy credentials from employees of target organizations. Devil 537 also uses several tactics that are less frequently used by other threat actors tracked by Microsoft. 
Their tactics include phone-based social engineering, SIM swapping to facilitate account takeover, accessing personal email accounts of employees at target organizations, paying employees, suppliers, or business partners of target organizations for access to credentials and multi-factor authentication approval, and intruding in the ongoing crisis communication calls of their targets. Those also meet engineering and identity-centric tactics leveraged by Dev0537, require detection and response processes that are similar to insider risk programs, but also involve short response timeframes needed to deal with malicious external threats. And then they mentioned how in the blog they compile tactics, techniques, and procedures they observe across multiple attacks and compromises. And they also provide baseline risk mitigation strategies and recommendations to help organizations harden their organization's security against the unique blend of tradecraft. And they go on to mention that they use a variety of methods that are typically focused on compromising identities, including deploying malicious redline passwords to obtain passwords and session tokens, purchasing credentials and session tokens from criminal underground forums, paying employees at targeted organizations for access to credentials and MFA approval, and searching public code repositories for exposed credentials. And you can see all the stuff they've had here. Like, look at this. It's a screenshot of an ad recruiting employees to give out access to their employer's network. And you can see the tag down here and everything. Like they're trying to fake themselves as like a job recruiter. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean they're not really hiding it though. No. It literally looks like they're asking for like legit employment without any shame. You know? Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, you can see, like, the strategies they're using for this. And what makes this whole thing rather fascinating and terrifying is the fact that... Well, the fascinating part is the fact that they, unlike most hacking groups that want to remain anonymous that can get away with this shit, these guys want to be public and out, out in the open. Yeah. Like, they want to... Like tremor and like make everybody tremor and fear their existence. Instead mm. of doing yeah. the logical thing that people would rather hide away in their shelves and just use VPNs and shit to hide themselves. I think it's um, I think it's a almost like a a power uh, uh you know like a thrill in a sense you know like uh this is a uh, something a lot of people who do heinous things uh they they do that a lot they um make themselves well known so they can or at least well known under an identity so when the you know when the day is over they can still live on you know historically you know if their name is written in the books then you know, because like, uh, you know, with, um, like, for instance, a lot of, um, a lot of mass shootings, I guess, that like, a lot of those people want their name out there. They want that attention and they don't care who they hurt as long as it gets their names in the history books, you know? Mm. For certain, yeah. And that, you scroll down here and they mentioned like reconnaissance and privilege escalation. 
says want dev 057 obtain access to the target network using the compromised accounts. These multiple tactics discover additional credentials or intrusion points to extend their access, including exploiting unpatched vulnerabilities on internally accessible servers, including Jira, GitLab, and Confluence, and searching code repositories and collaboration platforms for exposed credentials and secrets. And then you can see like a whole bunch of things. And then they mentioned like strengthening multi-factor multi multi-factor multi authentication implementation, require healthy and trusted endpoints, and they all this other stuff they mentioned. They gave you a lot of suggestions after this. Mm -hmm. But Microsoft clearly this is a really good resource for those who want to know, like, any, like, really detailed information about the situation regarding lapses and what they know. Because there's a lot of information in this that we yeah. don't even have a lot enough time to cover. Or even then, if we decide to cover it, we're going to seem like complete dumbasses. Yeah, that's uh, it's a wider spectrum, more, you know, with that sort of stuff. Um, like we're just a bunch of we're just commentators that want to commentate on the news and stuff that we like to hear about, but we're not exactly the most knowledgeable when it comes to server hacking of this sort. <laughs> yeah, the like, wait, best. Yeah, you know the best thing for us is, and for you know the viewer listener, uh, the best thing you know. The only thing we really know is change your password, you know, two-factor authentication, and you know, for like when when uh, I saw the you know Ubisoft got hacked, I was like, oh great, I have to go on a you know you play and change my password and make sure I didn't you know gain a bunch of friends from random places that shouldn't be there. <laughs> right, and then as for Okta. Another company that also did some stuff. They mentioned that as featured earlier today, we are conducting a thorough investigation to the recent lapses claimed any impact on our valued customers. The Okta service is fully operational and there are no corrective actions our customers need to take. So therefore, you don't have to worry about changing your password with these guys. Apparently, cover these guys. After a thorough analysis of these claims, we have concluded that a small percentage of customers, approximately 2.5%, have potentially been impacted and whose data may have been viewed or acted upon. We have identified those customers and have already reached out directly by email. We are sharing this interim update consistent with our values of customer success, integrity, and transparency. Our customers are pride, purpose, and number one priority. We take our responsibility to protect and secure customers' information very seriously. We deeply apologize. And they mentioned a webinar that they hosted on March 23rd. So they also some additional stuff here that you don't have to worry about as much, but just know that yeah. Apparently, if you're using Okta, uh, note that you don't have to do as much, which is good. Unless you're one of the uh, two and a half percent. Yep. Here's hoping no, none of us are. You know. <laughs> right. However. Cybersecurity researchers trace these lapses attacks to some teenager in England. 
And as they say, cybersecurity researchers investigating the attacks have traced them to a 16-year-old living with his mother near Oxford, England. And this is all according to Bloomberg. While researchers have identified seven accounts associated with the hack group, including one traced to another teenager in Brazil, they believe a teenager from England is the mastermind and is behind some of the major lapses attacks. However, they weren't able to connect the teen to all the attacks the group carried out. So this actually makes it seem like they actually are not, they're both present in Brazil and England. Okay, so it's um, probably a community of uh, people across the world. Mm-hmm. A multinational organization of sorts, even though they're, well, I, even though they may not be as, like, like most well-known, it's so there are a multinational organization at least mm-hmm. one with deep coordination and be able to infiltrate major corporations like Microsoft and Ubisoft yeah <sighs> and then as you can see as a reminder Microsoft said the group tar- started by targeting organizations in the United Kingdom and South America and then has since expanded target entities around the world so it could be um Considering, you know, UK and South America, you know, Brazil's in South America, right? You know, it, you know, it might as well be local until, you know, I think they tested out the local, you know, places and then they tried to see if, uh, right. Like, I'm sure, know. I'm sure it's the United Kingdom segment that was bought for Ubisoft, considering Ubisoft is France. Yeah. And then, however, to end at least what we know of this week off for lapses, Oxford teen accused of being multi-millionaire cyber criminal. Yeah, so you can see here the, te- the teenager who's alleged to have amassed fourteen million dollars fortune from hacking had been named by rival hackers and researchers. City of London police say they have arrested seven teenagers in relation to the gang, but will not say if he is the one. The boy's father told BBC his family was concerned and was trying to keep him away from his computers. Under his online moniker, White or Breach Base, the teacher who has autism is said to be behind the prolific Lapsus hack crew, which is believed to be based in South America. Lapsus is relatively new, but has become one of the most talked about and feared hacker cyber crime gangs after successfully breaching major firms like Microsoft and then bragging about it online. And then the teacher, who can't be named for legal reasons, attends a special educational school in Oxford. The City of London police said seven people between the ages of 16 and 21 have been arrested in connection with the investigation into a hacking group. They have all been released under investigation. Our inquiries remain ongoing. And there's a lot more here. Like, for instance... Play on, on games and how the boy's father told BBC, I had never heard about any of this until recently. He's never talked about any hacking, but he's very good on computers and spends a lot of time on the computer. I always thought he was playing games. And then you can see White was outed or doxxed on a hacker website out there, and apparent falling out of the business partners. The hackers really filled his name, address, and social media pro pictures. He has posted a biography of his hacking career saying, after a few years, his net worth accumulated to well over 300 
Bitcoin or close to $14 million. He is now affiliated with a wannabe ransomware group known as Wapsis. And they just give you like a bunch of overview as to what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So what do you think of this whole mess here with what's been going on with Laps and this teenager that's been causing havoc? I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it could be, uh, um, it could be a you know a random teen in London, but I mean, how does a you know how to like uh, I know that they trace it to that you know that that random kid, but it's just um, they've also got to kind of look into the option that maybe like. Maybe the blame was shifted, or maybe, you know, considering, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, well, I think it's plausible for, you know, some random 16 year old to be doing way much more with their life than, than, you know, the usual teenager, considering that there was a 19 year old who, uh, you know, um, tracked, uh, Elon Musk's jet and is now um, tracking, I think, Russian jets or something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so I, I think, uh, I don't know, scary. Um, I mean, personally, I don't have any opinion on it other than, you know, don't click anything. Don't, don't open anything that you don't know where it came from. Double check and uh, so make sure that you know you uh, you know watch what um, the less uh, technically um, how do I say the the less um, the more like uh, watch what grandma's doing and what your little kid is doing to make sure that they, they're not downloading anything suspicious either you know mm. Also, yeah. don't listen to rubber ducks. Maybe this one, but don't listen to other rubber ducks. <laughs> I'll fly off the screen now. Oh, yeah. But we also have one set of topics to go. And then we'll be good to go. Okay. So the first, so we had a couple of notable deaths that occurred within the tech industry, to which pioneered, you know, different aspects of technology. The first of which was former Tandy CEO and PC innovator John Roach who died at 83, and he was the one that brought forward the Tandy TRS-80 into American homes. So, he lived in, 
The Fort Worth native died in the city where he was raised, and no call death was given by the wife. As a play of Tandy in the 70s, Roach convinced Radio Shack executives to sell the TRS-80, a desktop microcomputer that retailed for just under $600 in its stores nationwide. And this was at a time when few complete pre-assembled computers were on the market. The TRS-80 first hit Radio Shack stores in 1977 and by 1981 became the largest selling computer of all time, being out Apple's early offerings. And Roach was born in 1938 in Stanford, Texas. And, and the TRS-80, for those who don't know, came equipped with a Zilog 80 processor, 4 kilobytes of DRAM, 64 character per line video monitor, and level 1 basic language interpreter. Its keyboard could only type uppercase letters, but the unit sold like wildfire. It became a favorite among computer hobbyists and business professionals. By the early 90s, the TRS-80's market share took a nosedive, overtaking by offering subjects from Apple and IBM. And he retired in 1998. And this is what Bill Gates had to say. I was saddened to hear of John's passing, John's vision, and his ability to get early computers like the TRS-80 into people's hands. The Radio Shack may have won the most the true pioneers of this industry. He helped create a market that so many people and companies benefited from as the personal computer industry took shape. So this guy really helped get personal computers into the mainstream. Yeah. And um wow. You know, um What seems like such a primitive thing was $600 back then, not even counting inflation. $600 is a little bit steep for, for like, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think it's really that steep, but eh, I don't know. Right. Um, but yeah, no, um. I mean, that's pretty good, I guess, you know, that like, this is the uh, reason why you and I can have a computer that, that you know, it's a, 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 I think this would have been like, a, you know, a, if this wasn't an option, you know, back then, there might have been another, like, a, you know how the video game industry crash in the 80s? I wonder if PCs would also take a nosedive and like not become as popular and you know in the you know back then you know if they if you wouldn't be able to like um have something at home to you know run i don't know windows 98 or 95 on i guess right um i think one of the things that makes this noteworthy too is the fact that well think about this way if it was for this guy, it would have been stuck with IBM and Apple computers, and those would have been much more expensive. It would have made getting into the, getting a device in the industry almost unattainable. Especially when you consider the fact that back then the value of the dollar was actually higher than it is today. That's a good point. Mm. Um... Yeah, um, and they they were pre-assembled computers, 
um, yeah, which back then. is really, yeah, I think that would be really appealing, of course, to the, you know, the earlier computer enthusiast market, you know, like getting into it. And so a lot of people start off with a pre-built or at least start off with a lot of information dumped on them. And let's just go straight in it with, uh, you know, and build a computer that, Oh my god, the cable management would be terrible. But hey, it's it's a thing. My yeah. first computer was terrible. Yeah, I'll submit this right now. Back then, I'm sure that the computer parts were not as modular as they are today. As easy, so the, so computer back then probably tougher to actually get into back then than they are today. Because today, computer parts are a bit quite a bit easier to you know plop into place, and you can almost it's almost more plug and play nowadays, as far as I can tell. Because as far as I can tell, I don't know many other computers that were as mod, they're modular as the ones that we have today. Yeah, um, not as many universal standards. Not really, uh, really a universal operating system. Yeah, the the nowadays it's if you know what you're doing, there is so so many little things that you can't screw up on that you probably could have way back when you know mm -hmm. um or like, with like less standard design yeah like we're talking about back then and probably before a graphic user interface was even a thing oh yeah yeah oh my god like a a, a dos box sort of thing you know like a command line yeah so that really made it almost impossible for most people to get into computers like i'm sure as like if it was if if graphic user interfaces did not exist, I am sure most that both of us probably wouldn't even be on this, these computers right now recording a show. Oh, and mainly for the fact that I probably wouldn't be able to like see Discord, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like your speech would be transferred over text to speech or something, or vice versa. Yeah, it'd be ridiculous, <laughs> but. Know. But, but for Tandy CEO, John Roach, thank you for helping to push computers to the mainstream and, you know, getting more people into technology in general. Like we can, we're probably wouldn't even be, like I said, we wouldn't even be on our computers right now if it wasn't the fact you were able to make computers more affordable. Just uh, them into the spotlight. Yeah, exactly. But another person that was major spotlight is the creator of the GIF. Or GIF, if you pr pronounce it that way. But they technically say that it's supposed to pr be pronounced GIF. So I'm, I'm probably going to interchange both of them. That's what I do when I when I um, hear a word pronounced differently. It's like, like a, I, I do my best to mix it. Also, it gets great for confusing people. But that's not my intent. Yeah. So on March 1st, Steve Wilhite, who was the career of the GIF, contracted COVID-19. And it came on suddenly. He woke up one morning. And he said, honey, I don't feel good. I don't feel good at all. And he was running a fever, throwing up so badly. The next day, he started coughing badly. Kathleen Wilhite told NPR over the phone one day night. 
and that Kathleen, who also contracted COVID-19, had Steve taken to a hospital near their home in Milford, Ohio, where he was treated with antibiotics before being placed in intensive care. The pair couldn't see each other because of her diag diagnosis. She said, Steve was ultimately placed in a coma. Kathleen tested negative on or about March 10th and was able to be by his side. Then she received a call on March 14th from the hospital. They said, Mrs. White, you need to get here right away. That he has turned to the worst and you need to come. Shortly after her arrival, Steve passed away due to complications of COVID-19. Kathleen said he was 74. And in the weeks leading up to March 1st, Kathleen, Steve could be found in his model train room taking with his creations in computer programming, one of his constants in life, which led to the creation of the GIF file format in 1987 while he was at CompuServe. I think the first GIF was a picture of a plane. It was a long time ago, Steve told the Daily Dot in a rare interview via Facebook in May 2012. The, comp the compressed format of the GIF allowed slow, moderate connections of the 1980s to transfer images more efficiently. The animation feature was added in an updated version of the GIF file format. Steve stayed at the company working on various systems until 2001, experiencing a stroke before he retired. And you can see here in the 2000s, MySpace accounts were littered with buttons that glittered or scrolled by on a loop. Users of the website Tumblr employed the medium to create reactions, vignettes, and memes in the 2010s. And you can see in 2013, the Webby Awards honored Will Height with a Lifetime Achievement Award. And he played a GIF at his acceptance speech, which iterated the pronunciation of as GIF, not GIF. And as you can see here, today, GIFs are a mainstay of communication on the internet. Without the, without the GIF, the internet as we know it would be a different place. Jason Reed, the art director at The Daily Dot, told NPR over the signaling messaging service, It's a tight medium that you can learn a lot about storytelling within, especially tuned for the attention span of the internet. Jamie McCain is the co-founder of the Arts Collective, knows Mr. GIF, known best for well-creating GIFs. I want to offer my sincerest condolences to Stephen Wilhite's family. It is incredibly saddening to hear. Forever in his debt, it was by the power of his gift codec that I traversed across the United States of America, spoke drugs with celebrities, and created friendships with countless amounts of people along the way. Even to this day, GIFs help put food on the table for my family, and for that, I will always be eternally grateful to Stephen Wilhite. The outpouring of love online has been a great comfort to Kathleen Wilhite and her family. And then she also mentioned he was probably one of the kindest, humble men you'll ever met. I've been reading about the responses online all afternoon, and I can't even tell you how it comforts you. Not only I loved him, you know, our family loved him, you know, people loved him and respected his work. And that would mean more to him than anything is how they respected what he did. I miss him more than anyone could imagine. So yes, the creator of the GIF died of COVID. At 74. Yeah. Um, and at the time when it was created, um, 
it was um, it was probably the most useful for having little animations and stuff because uh, back then a lot of like uh, you know graphics and you know stuff that didn't display as as many vivid and you know rich colors um, a lot of files that were you know put in 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 uh, GIF or GIF. Um, it could only be assigned 256 or, you know, the 8-bit integer. Um, it can only be, be assigned 256 colors. And it can use any of the million of colors, but it can only use 256 of those colors. So it was very... Um, um, it was very... Uh, useful back then because monitors wouldn't provide as many rich depth and color and it would be uh, a much uh, simpler and smaller file to um, have and even nowadays it's still being used as a way to have you know little videos that aren't really in full color in a sense and you know even back then you know you know with black and white um, photography and stuff. A lot of black and white photographs, of course, don't really use more than, I guess, fifty shades of gray or something. <laughs> um, Boy, talk but... about that would get us demonetized. Uh, anyways, oh fuck. Uh, Just anyways. kidding. <laughs> I was thinking of the context of the books and everything, but don't stop. I won't get much further, but uh, still, I was like, when you mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey, I'm like, oh, uh, dear. <laughs> I, I meant the sequel, A Hundred Shades of, like, Purple. <laughs> uh, right. Anyways, uh, but, yeah, this, um, this, uh, you know, file, uh, format with um it can you know it can do animation it can be a single image and it can be very small by both using you know it's like dithering and um you know and uh, uh kind of filling in the gaps with certain amounts of colors you won't be able to see a lot of the wider spectrum of colors, but for smaller devices like phones, um, and the pixel density is not as rich. I know a lot of uh, a lot of uh, phones nowadays are trying to reach fourteen forty p, but um, it's still being used nowadays and is a really popular format. Um, and we can all thank this one man, and rest his soul. Indeed, rest of soul to Kathleen Wilhite. I mean, we're sorry for your loss and hope you can come out of this strong. And um, as far as John Roach, I really didn't give much of a speech when it came to that, but I, I do. I, I also thank John Roach for allowing these, you know, his um foresight into you know the um affordability of 
these smaller computers you know i remember back then there was like a there was like a quote one day this big machine will fit on my desk and fa fast forward to here where it is a thing you know trs 80 um can fit on the desk and you know it's 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 nice to see that it went from a, a simple you know, built-in monitor sort of situation sort of thing, you know, with little printers off of the side and business stuff. And this is all for $600. It was probably, um, it was a, definitely a good call, you know? Yeah. Rest, rest in, in peace. peace Reed. Yeah. Rest in peace, John Roach. Rest in peace, Steve Wilhite. And thank you for both for being technological pioneers. Certainly. And with that being said, I think that'll be it for today. We do not have a comment of the day today. So if you guys like what you see here, uh, make sure to follow or subscribe to us on any of the platforms that we're on. And also check out, you know, Flu Alpaca's channels as well and my channel on YouTube and also check out the Godcast Discord and the Hydrowave 99 subreddit, links to which will be down below in the link tree. I am your host, Hydrowave 99. I'm Fluffalpaca. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.